I would like to make a case for the different spheres in which the mind matters. When we think about what the Bible says about our minds, we don't realize that the Bible also commands us to command our minds. You are to command your thoughts. As you are to command your emotions, your desires. How many of you have ever stood in front of the mirror and you went, that's a jerk, or not you, sorry, that's me. <laughs> that's it, you. <laughs> no longer will you have these thoughts. How many of you have ever done that? If you haven't, you really should. You really should. The mind is the control mechanism, of course. The mind flows from the heart, but back to the mind. From the heart to the mind, from the mind to the heart, we have to command our minds to love and to be grateful. There's so much for us to be grateful for. And like I've said so many times, having traveled the whole world and coming from a different part of the world, third world especially, you know, I've seen many people who have very little and enjoy all of it. Then I've seen in the West people who have a tremendous amount and cannot enjoy any of it. There are people who have a thousand times less than us and are grateful for it, but we cannot find anything to be grateful over. This is a heart-mind issue. And so I would like to make a case for these different spheres in which the mind matters. When it comes to gratitude, your mind matters. When it comes to loving your neighbor, your mind matters. When it comes to loving God, your mind matters. You see, the undisciplined thought life will produce the most unwanted future you can imagine. Let me say that again. Your unrenewed mind will produce for you the most unwanted future you can imagine. Because the only possible way for us to be transformed is by the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12. So the first thing I wanted to show you about the mind in the different spheres of the mind is that thoughts are practical. Thoughts are practical. Today's ideas precede tomorrow's outcomes. Everything that has been created in this world by man was preceded by an idea, if you think about it. Books are results of previous thoughts. You don't write a book and then read it in order to get a thought. <laughs> you have a thought, therefore you write a book. Books are the products of thoughts. So are paintings. The artist sees the painting and then produces it. So are portraits and symphonies. They're all preceded by ideas, by thoughts, by thinking. Buildings, cities, inventions are all preceded first by a thought process before they were realized. And therefore, all man-made things in this world are first subjective before it becomes objective. Sin is the same thing. It's first from within me and then I practice it. But so is worshiping God and so is being grateful and so is loving God. So this explains the power of a thought and idea of imagination. 
You see, nations rise and fall on ideas. History proves to us that some ideas are very constructive, others are very destructive. From the beginning of time, uh, all forms of government were and still are run on ideas. For example, tribalism is an idea. Anarchy is an idea. Socialism is an idea. Marxism is, uh, is the practicing of certain set of ideas. Communism, democracies, it's an idea and then it becomes a reality. These all stem from certain thoughts and ideologies. Therefore, my conclusion here is that your thoughts are very practical. Your thoughts are real things in the making. Second is that thoughts are spiritual. They actually matter in the spirit world. Last week we learned that the snake introduced an idea to Eve that was contrary to God's command. Remember God said, don't eat from that tree? But which tree was it that they weren't supposed to eat from? The tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. It's having a knowledge of evil that caused them to fall from grace. When they lost their innocence... They fell from relationship with God because God is perfectly holy. So when corrupting ideas and knowledge were introduced, perverted knowledge, evil ideas and unscriptural thoughts, these things are still the very things that war against you because thoughts are spiritual. That is why we have to guard against evil filling our minds, evil filling our hearts. The Bible says, guard your hearts, guard your minds. Against what? Against the world system, against the flesh, and against the devil. Those are your three enemies. Your own flesh wants to sell you an idea that's not of God. The world is always preaching ideas that are contrary to Scripture. And the demonic also propagate certain ideas. So I'm talking to you about how thoughts are in fact spiritual. They are real. They are natural. They are practical. You build buildings with thoughts. You paint paintings with thoughts and ideas. But thoughts and ideas are spiritual beyond just being natural and practical. Here we see in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. What are we talking about here? Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Can you say every thought? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That is spiritual warfare. Thoughts are spiritual. You cannot have a compartmentalized life with God on the one hand and then your thoughts being in the gutters in the next hand. You cannot divorce those two from each other. Your thoughts are part of your spiritual life. 
So if you want to mature in your spiritual life, you're going to have to mature in your thinking. You have to think God's thoughts after Him. Where do we get God's thoughts? From Scriptures. That's where we get God's thoughts. And we have to think His thoughts after Him. And if we think His thoughts after Him, we couldn't find greater wisdom than that for life. I can't be spiritually mature and mentally unstable at the same time. <laughs> you see, the Christian who matures in the things of the Spirit of God, in other words, Scriptures, is mentally strong and stable. You'll always find the mature Christian is stable in his mind first, in his life second. So when you fall apart, in your thought life, it's a spiritual issue. That's what that is. It's a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue. It's a scriptural issue. It's a God issue. So we have to be able to gather our minds, order our minds, command our thoughts to think after God. Our thoughts, we need to have our thoughts follow God's thoughts. That is the most sane thinking anybody can ever have. Have you noticed that in the world, the world is getting more and more divided? And now it's almost impossible to have relationships unless you're in the same camps, right? Why? Because their thinking is just so different. That's why you walk into the mall and you feel lonely. It's packed with people, but you feel like, I'm the only one here who thinks like I do. <laughs> <laughs> And I've, I've often, I told Basui that yesterday. I said, man, I've walked through the mall, and I'm like, if, if these people knew what I believed, they'd hate me. Yep. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? And then you get into a group of people you've never met before, but you know you all gather around scriptures, and you go like, hey, brother, what's your name? <laughs> Isn't that true? Cut from the same cloth, because we believe the same thing. Loneliness goes away. Because thinking is spiritual, that's why. Thinking is spiritual. So in continuing to build this case that thoughts are spiritual, we first saw that Adam and Eve fell because they were introduced to the tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. We also see that Paul said when you do spiritual warfare, what you're doing is you take a thought that contradicts scriptures and you pull it down. That's spiritual warfare. You say, no, that's not my thought. I know I just had it, but it's not mine. It's from somewhere else. It's from the flesh. It's from the world. It's from the devil. But it's not mine. It's not from Scripture. I have scriptural thoughts. Those are mine. Just because it flooded through your mind doesn't mean it's yours. Right? But here's another example of why thoughts are highly spiritual. And your thinking, when you order your thinking, it is a highly spiritual exercise. It is a godly exercise. I don't really like to use the word spiritual because today everybody thinks they're spiritual, right? <laughs> Oprah is spiritual. Come on now. <laughs> but I'd like to say godly or, or scriptural or holy or divine, right? And that's a, it's a practicing in the divine Practicing, 
practicing godliness by telling your thought, no, you may, you may no longer be occupying space over here criticizing my wife all day long. No, go away. I don't like walking around criticizing my wife all day long. So I expel the thought, right? By putting it elsewhere. It's like God has blessed me. Well, okay, so let's talk about husbands. I see people nudging each other. <laughs> I'm not going to say who, but <laughs> Lord knows. One day this month and look at you. <laughs> uh, thanks for visiting us this month, you guys. Isn't it great to have Dave and Linda with us? Amen. Yeah, but Dave, write that down. Like if a, if a thought comes in your mind, like, man, my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. You go like, wait a minute, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. This is a good thing. It could be much worse. <laughs> Think of it. So we know your thoughts are highly spiritual. You cannot grow spiritually outside of growing in your thoughts. Having your thoughts follow God's. And in continuing building this case that they are spiritual, I was thinking about, I mean, God, He got so fed up with the world, He flooded everybody except for Noah and his family. You know, this day and age, people go like, well, if it's not nice, it's not God. Yeah. Like, how nice was God to drown the whole world? mothers and babies, <laughs> everybody, you know, I'm done with you. And he just kind of like pours 40 days of water on them, fl floods everybody, kills everything, except for no one and his family. And here's the reason why, Genesis 6 verse 5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Like, man, look at their thoughts. Look at the imagination. Drown them. <laughs> Drown them, all of them. Our conclusion is that our thoughts and our imaginations are undeniably and categorically spiritual. God reads our thoughts, listens to them, and He has thoughts about our thoughts. They are not without consequence. Then number three, we see that thoughts are relational. Thoughts are relational. We all know that the thoughts I have about my wife is what determines my, my affection towards her. You couldn't love anybody without first knowing them. It is impossible to love somebody you have zero knowledge of. You have to know something about someone to love them. Otherwise, it's all lip service, really. It is what you know about that person or what you imagine about that person that enables you to actually truly love them. That means your mind is a game changer in love and in life. So why do you think the Bible commands us in Luke 10, 27, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your 
mind. Wow. I can love God with my mind. To sum it up, therefore, thoughts are practical, they're logical. You do nothing without them. Thoughts are spiritual. You can't please God unless they are well-ordered according to Scriptures. Thoughts exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and we have to pull them down and make them submit to God in order to win this spiritual battle. Thoughts are relational, an absolute necessity to be affectionate and necessary part of love itself. So how can thoughts impact the heart towards darkness or towards love and gratefulness? In other words, coldness or, or affection. How do thoughts do this? I want to show you in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Look at how interesting this is. Now we all know Romans chapter 1, God actually pours His wrath out upon people three times. It's called the wrath of abandonment. The first time because they ignored God and they wouldn't recognize Him for being God. He leaves them. Instead of having mercy upon them and preserving them, God steps back and boom, they fall into the very passions that they wouldn't give up. They were consuming certain passions and they, were, they refused to walk away from those passions and then God went, okay, therefore I step aside and suddenly those passions started consuming them. And we have what's called a sexual revolution. It's what we had in the 1960s with Woodstock. And then we see a second time God steps away from them because they were hardening their hearts. And then there was this homosexual revolution. It says that in Romans chapter 1, men with men, women with women doing what is unfitting and not natural, not normal. And that was God's judgment on the unrepentant. I wish I made this up, folks. <laughs> I wish I was the one making this up. You could tell me I'm lying, but it's actually in Romans chapter 1. And then the third time, he judges them again, or he pours his wrath out on them. And the third time, he steps aside and he allows their minds to become darkened and corrupted altogether. Where now, what they do is they see things that are good and they call, they call it evil. They see things that are evil and they say, good. So their minds have become completely darkened, corrupted, and depraved. So I want to read to you a portion from that, from that scripture in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. It says, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Look at the sun. Look at the moon, look at the stars, look at the creation. Look at the humanity and the, the animal kingdom. It says, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is never going to be one person landing in hell that has an excuse sufficient enough to be pardoned. Nobody has an excuse. Nobody can say, I didn't know there was, a God. there was a God. I didn't know I needed salvation. Nobody's ever going to have that excuse, it says. Even His eternal power and God, it's so that they are without excuse. 
because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their what? Thoughts. If you see unthankful individuals, it's because they become futile in their thoughts. Just look at the news. Turn on the TV. You go like, what are you guys screaming about? We lo- These are all first world problems, folks. <laughs> You're screaming about. This is a wonder. It's the best age anyone could ever choose to live in. My son, who is 13, was given a, a gift card. Think about this. Now, I grew up on a farm in Africa, right? And I don't know when it is we got a phone and when it is we got electricity, but it was years in. <laughs> we had no phone, no electricity for a long time. And my son got a gift certificate to Amazon, went on the Internet, and bought himself a game that's being delivered today. Like, how did this happen? We had to travel an hour to buy a loaf of bread. (laughs) This is the greatest time in history. And people cannot be thankful. Why not? It says it right here. Because they became futile in their thoughts. You cannot have have futile thoughts and grateful hearts. Those two things don't work together. Let me say that again. You cannot have futile thoughts and grateful hearts. No. The reason you have ungrateful hearts in the world today is because they have futile thoughts. They cannot order their minds. Their minds run away with them. They they become cynical. Have you noticed? Cynical as the day is long. This is the best time. What other age in humanity would you rather live in? Think about the lifespans of people that lived 100 years ago. Think about the birth rates. Think about the diseases. Think about, think about your comfort today. I mean, we got Walmart, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> now, I know it gets better than Walmart. I'm just saying. <laughs> Walmart's a first world problem. I mean, you can go there for free entertainment all day long, (laughs) 24-7. You don't even pay a cent. You just walk around. You're like, whoo, click, click. (laughs) Wow, do it again. (laughs) See if you can do it again without getting arrested. (laughs) So look at that, verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The heart will respond to the thoughts that a person allows to lodge in their mind. Again, your heart always responds to the thoughts you are allowing to fester in your mind. I choose my thoughts, and my my thoughts influence my heart. The heart will love or hate depending on what takes place in the mind. I'll give you an example. How many times have you seen one parent breeding thoughts of honor in their child's heart towards the other parent? 
or the other way around. How many times have you seen a parent breeding thoughts of dishonor in the hearts of their child towards the other parent? And then the parent goes, I wonder what happened to my child. They hate me. Well, maybe it was the spouse. <laughs> like we, uh, we, we make that, a family, we make that a, a deal. I, when I'm alone with one of my children taking them on a date, like, man, your mom, let's go home. I'm missing her. You know, she's the most, she's an incredible woman, isn't she? I mean, she, she's amazing. She bakes bread. She cleans. She makes all. Yeah, Dad, she does. She made my bed last year once. You know, like, now all these thoughts are coming. Like, every good thing she's ever done throughout their lives come, you know. And then, honor is something that the one spouse, the one parent, can breed in the lives of their children towards the other spouse. What I'm saying is <clears throat> that the heart will love or hate depending on what is, what's taking place in their minds. And, some have allowed their minds to be filled with a specific worldview. They just naturally hate their villain. They so, they've so filled their minds with being indoctrinated, they can't even hear the other person. They just hate them because of what their mind's filled with. You see, your heart will love or hate. Your heart will long for or resent. Your heart will admire or abhor something or someone depending on the thoughts you have embraced regarding that thing or that person. So, so you've got to guard your heart. How? Order your thoughts. Let me say that again. You have to guard your heart. How? Order your thoughts. Order your thoughts. You see, the Bible teaches that the mind has a spirit. Spirit of the mind. The mind has eyes because... The mind can be blinded. The mind can be quickened. The Bible says that the mind can be perverted. It says the mind can be defiled. It says the mind can become reprobate. It can be defected. The mind can be renewed. Praise God. Good news. Your mind can be more renewed today than it was yesterday. But here in Matthew 22, the Bible tells us that the mind can also love. The mind can love. Is your mind, are you loving God with your mind today, is the question. Because if you're not loving God with your mind, your heart can't be grateful towards what He's done for you. We talk, today is our Thanksgiving service, and we're talking about gratitude. Again, if your mind is loving God, your heart will naturally be grateful toward Him. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Even though thoughts are immeasurably important in this Christian life of ours, thoughts alone cannot love. Thoughts alone is not what is loving. If all you have is a loving thought, you haven't completely loved yet. So how do we love God with our minds? You see, thinking is not loving, but thinking is the means through which love can be awakened. And thoughts are, uh, are th through gratitude, you know, can be awakened. 
So through our thinking, gratitude can be awakened. Through our thinking, love is awakened. And the flame of love is kindled. So seeing His eternal attributes drawn out, you will start admiring Him. Let me say that again. When you see His attributes, the attributes of God, just how perfect He is, how loving He is toward you, how merciful He is toward you, how gracious He is toward you. When you see all He has done, it molds your love toward God. When you're able to wrap your mind around all that He's done, it molds your mind towards loving Him. Do you remember when we just read Romans? It says that they did not acknowledge God in their minds. They were not thankful because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. And we glorify God based on what we know about God. You see, when you are able to wrap your mind around the fact that nobody has done for you what He has done for you, suddenly you will love Him with your mind more than you did prior to knowing that or reminding yourself of that. So loving God with your mind has a lot to do with reminding yourself about all He has done for you. That's why communion is important. It, allow, it allows us to wrap our minds around what He's done for us. When you're able to wrap your mind around the fact that nobody has loved you like He has loved you, sacrificially, even while you yet hated Him, you're like, wow, God, you're amazing. And when you start admiring somebody, you start valuing them, well, it's actually the other way around. When you start valuing them, them and what they do and who they are, you start admiring them. And when you start admiring them, you are, in fact, taken by them. You love them with your thoughts. When you wrap your mind around the fact that nobody has given to you what He has given to you, His only Son, His life, His righteousness, His name, the right to be a son of God. When you realize everything that He has given you, every good gift is from above. Wow, how can you not be grateful and admire His, His generosity towards you? When you realize that nobody has forgiven you like He has forgiven you. Nobody has promises for your future like the promises of, etern of eternal life that He has made to you. I mean, that's an amazing thing, you know. We can just go on and on and on and on about how good God has been to you. And if we can just wrap our minds around those, we will value what He has done for us. We will admire Him for the value and we will be taken by Him. We'll be captured. Our minds will be captured. You know, when somebody falls in love, they can't think about anything else. They fall in love and it's like their thoughts are pretty much about the person they're in love with right now. So when you are able to wrap your mind around these truths, then you are able to declare with King David, quote, Who have I in heaven but you? Who have I in heaven but you? When all these truths are grasped with your understanding, then and only then will you treasure Him above all else. Do you treasure God 
You go, yes. Well, in what way do you treasure him? For what? Well, um, I treasure him because he's God. Now, if you understood the doctrine of salvation, the doctrines of grace, if you understood the attributes of God, his aseity, his eternality, uh, his omnipotence and his omniscience, and when you understand all, the more you know about him, the more there is for you to love concerning him, you see. We love what we know. We love what we know. So love is admiring. Love is valuing. Love is treasuring. People should look at you and say, wow, he really loves God, doesn't he? Because they see how you admire God. They should look at you and go like, wow, that person really loves God. Because they see how you value the very things of God how you prioritize the things of God. You see, loving God with all your mind means using your mind to grasp, understand, evaluate, and acknowledge the value of God, the perfections of God, knowing who God is and what He is like, knowing His attributes through much focus and study and diligent consideration of what Scriptures teach about God. You know, Jesus said this thing. He said, Blessed are you if you're not offended in me. Because many people, they open up the Bible and they have the exact opposite effect. They go like, what? He drowned the whole world. Huh. That's not love. You see, what they did right there is they actually judged God by comparing Him to them, thinking that they would do a better job in loving than He did. I mean, we see how Jesus talked to people. <laughs> it's like... Oh, man, people, people are getting so bent out of shape over so many things. The only part of Jesus they can swallow is when he's holding a little child and hugging. I saw this meme yesterday at Facebook. It says, <laughs> it shows this guy, you know, it's a cartoon with this guy with a Bible just hitting on somebody else, right, with a Bible. It says, if this is your gospel and it's not this, meaning the second picture, which is where Jesus is standing holding somebody like this. If that's not your gospel, you don't have the right gospel. I mean, it's shared and liked and loved and commented on, like, hallelujah, praise God, amen. It's like, <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm not saying either is right. I think both are, both are very wrong, and depending on, I mean, it's a stinking meme. What are you going to say? But my point is just like, is that the gospel? The God of your imagination, you obviously haven't read stuff about Jesus. How he judged and condemned at the end of time, you'll throw people in hell. So how does that meme stand up? I don't know. But it's, it's, it's Jesus said, hey, if you are not offended in me, blessed are you. You're blessed. In what way? You have eyes to see. You have ears to hear. Blessed are you. You have hearts of flesh that respond you're blessed. God obviously had mercy on you. That's why you're not offended in Christ. But everybody who's offended in Christ, it's not that God did anything wrong. He just allowed them to receive the justice they very duly deserve. They harden their heart. He hardens it more. They are unrepentant over their, over their, over their sinful passions. 
He allows their passions to have its way with them. To some, He gives mercy. To others, He gives justice. He is never unjust. He's a good judge. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you treasure God with your mind? Because if you do, you'll be grateful for every little bit that He's ever done for you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You teach us and show us that we are to command our minds, our thoughts. We are responsible to think your thoughts after you. And in so doing, God, we will get to know you more and more. And the more we see who you really are, the more we will treasure what you have done for us. And the more we treasure every single thing you do for us and have done for us, the more we will admire you and the more we will be given to you and the more we will be able to love you. There is no gratitude. There is no true gratitude except for if we truly have a grasp of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.